This is Speak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Gubba Homestead. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned all about homesteading. What is it like to start a homestead, to run it, maintain it through the seasons? What is it like having your own dairy cow that you milk for fresh raw milk every day? Six gallons of fresh raw milk every day. What is it like to have beehives, chickens, to really reconnect with your food system and tap into ancestral preservation methods? How do you make eggs last through the winter? We talk about all that. I learned a lot. I really enjoyed it. We discussed Gabba's vision for the future of her homestead, how she will be cultivating love for the land, for self-sufficiency, and planting fruit trees for future generations. Gabba's passion for all this really shines through in the conversation and is infectious. Just so you're warned, you'll probably want to go start your own homestead after listening to this, just so you're aware. This episode of Peak Earth is brought to you by bumblebees. Bees are majestic beings. They are everywhere. And if you are afraid of them, they're more likely to sting you. If you send them loving vibrations, if you're able to think about how cool they are, how amazing bees are, then they're more likely to be your friend. As you learn in this conversation, bees are awesome. They don't like pesticides. They don't like fear. They do like flowers. So bring some flowers to some bees, plant some flowers, do everything you can to limit and eliminate pesticides and fear. And yeah, that's it. There's really no promo code for this one. That's the sponsor, bees. Go love some bees. Do what you can to send loving vibrations out to some sweet bees. And that's it. Appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode with Gabba. How's it going? Good. How are you? Very well. Really excited to have this conversation with you. I'm, I'm glad that, that you're joining me. I've been really fascinated by everything that you're sharing online about the homestead that, that you're creating. It's, it's very interesting. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Twitter's been a really cool realm to meet a lot of people. I guess the, the like the obvious first question I think would be how did you how did you get out there? How did you get started with homesteading? So, so I was living in the city and I just I well, the pandemic thing happened right in 2020 and I just sort of looked around at these empty grocery stores and realized like it how people normally live their life isn't really sustainable, right? So I, that kind of kicked me into like, okay, how can I be self-sufficient? And so then I started sourcing food local where I was at. I started drinking the raw milk, finding my raw milk. And so it, it just sort of uh, snowballed this homesteading thing and starting my seeds and growing a garden, having this small little box garden of where I was. So that's kind of what kicked me off. I was always interested and kind of did a little bit here and there, but then, uh, 2020 rolled around and I was like, I got to change everything. Yeah. I think a lot of people had that experience, but not everyone had the courage to act on it or at least the you know motivation to see it all the way through. And I, I'm sure that I've just by hearing people talk about like, oh, I want to get land. I want to start homesteading. Like it's like this is a popular sort of idea. What, what sort of gave you that extra motivation or the courage to really go for it? You know, I feel like what you just said, I feel like homesteading is becoming so much more popular too with um, 
just with the way things are going, people are saying like our systems aren't reliable, but the courage was, well, I wanted to do it. And that was, that was all the courage I needed. I was like, okay, I need to go and get some land. And it seems impossible, but I feel like opportunities are out there. I actually had a comment today from somebody on Instagram and they were like, Hey, I want to know how you did this. How did you get your land? Because I feel like soil's bad and there's no opportunities. And I replied and said, you know, it was really like a miracle of God for me, but I was open to opportunities and just looking like you just have to look and things will pop up. And I, I'm definitely the type of person who thinks like things, uh, things work out and there's opportunities that present themselves. You just have to be looking. So I kind of just went for it. It's awesome. And I was, I encourage anyone listening to connect with you online. You have an amazing YouTube channel that shows everything that you're doing and a few examples would be the chickens that you're tending to, the cow moo that you had for a while, and the mm-hmm. bees, the beehive that you're tending. Just among the, the gardening that you're doing, there's a lot of beautiful, vibrant nature and sort of food that you're they're cultivating on your own. Did you how how did you get to that point? It seems like you've you've got this vibrant homestead. It seems like you've been there for just a fairly short amount of time. Hey, okay, so I feel like so. I don't know if you can relate to this but you find a new hobby and then you're just like gung-ho into it like you're I gotta have everything and so that's kind of what I did with homesteading so I moved out to the homestead and I was like all right chickens cows bees garden everything and that's what I did what did I do first I got the chickens and then I got moo because I really wanted a milk cow or the raw milk right to experience it And I wanted bees because bees are great for pollination and they make honey, which goes into my food storage. Honey lasts forever. So, and then a garden. So I just kind of went all like head first in and it was a lot for my first year. And I'm deaf. It was good though, because it helped me realize what I loved and what I didn't love. I love my chickens. I love my bees. I loved my cow. I loved moo. It was just a lot. And so I also do the homestead, but I also stream on Twitch TV, which I don't think a lot of people know. So with having a cow who then had twins, it was a huge time commitment. And so I was spread thin. And so it just helped me see where I can manage my time and resources because I have so many sources for raw milk around here. So that wasn't a, like a big deal. Like I needed a milk cow for raw milk. So that's kind of what I did. Went in head first and <laughs> realized what worked for me and didn't. That is, it is funny. You said, um, you mentioned in a video that you made that you had to give Moo away because there was just too much milk. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. She had, she, so if I ever get a cow again, I will have to assess how much milk that they do. So for me, she was given like up to six gallons a day. She was a huge producer huge and which is absolutely amazing but I didn't want to sell the milk I was just giving away milk to my neighbors and friends and um so she was not suitable for me and where I'm at but she went to this amazing family and they have like this little community and it made my heart so happy I don't know if I mentioned it in the video but they messaged me and they're like she is the perfect cow for us and so that made me so happy because they had the mouths to feed for um, all of Moo's milk. I, it was I was drowning in milk. It was so much. <laughs> That's beautiful, and it was really cool because they, that um, there was a, I think maybe this was another video, but you showed the process of bringing Moo into the stanchion that I'm pretty sure you built yourself, and then actually yep. milking Moo as well. Which is if anyone I, I'm sure 
a lot of people have never seen this process actually unfolding. They just see the end product, you know, the milk and the cheese and the kefir and all the wonderful dairy products that we get to enjoy thanks to the beautiful cow. But that process of, of actually milking the cow is really beautiful to see. And it seemed like a lot of, it was actually pretty laborious too, like fairly labor intensive. Yeah, it was labor intensive, but it was like, it was so cool to bond with her. And after a while of getting to know her and doing this every day, she would just come prancing in from the field in the mornings, come and see me. And then, but yeah, it was labor intensive because, well, she had so much milk and you want to milk out the quarters so she doesn't get mastitis. And then you're dealing with keeping things clean or if she kicks the bucket, she was really good at that. But yeah, I was, I was tired after milking and you will have to do that twice a day. And then you tape, you can taper down to once a day. There's different things you can do, but yeah, it was a really beautiful process. And I do, I do miss it. Like I do miss it, especially when it's nice outside and I'm thinking of her because I got her around this time last year, but I also realized that she wasn't the perfect fit for my homestead and which that's okay. Definitely makes makes sense to have a sort of a feeling out process to see what works best for you. And I'm I'm curious with milking Moo and and her generating six gallons of milk a day. How long would it take to to milk six gallons? Like what does that what does that look like? Oh, so let's see. I would be out there for about an hour ish each time because that would be getting her in from the field getting her into the stanchion, putting her food in, cleaning her off, and then I'd start milking. Um, so it was around an hour. So having to drive back and then put the milk in the, um, the buckets. Yeah, so it was right around there. And then I'd have to come in and then filtering the milk. So all I would do is I had like little milk filters. I'd filter them into separate half gallon jars or gallon jars. So it was a bit of a process and that was each time. And that would be if everything went according to plan, you know, especially when she had her calves, like the dynamic changed because she did not want to be separated from her calves. Oftentimes, like with dairy farms, uh, they don't keep their calves because obviously the dairy farm needs the milk. So she got to keep her calves, which I was so happy for her. So, but she did not want to be separated from them. She had super anxiety so i just start milking her outside of the stanchion and it's where she could see her calves but so it took a lot of time <laughs> that's what i was yeah that's i guess that that makes plenty of sense you know each each milk pull is you're only getting that that small squirt so that, that was take a yeah. while <laughs> Yeah, it does. And your hand gets tired after a while. Like I really built up like my wrist muscles right in here because man, you're just like, you got to take some breaks, but you can't be too, take too long of breaks because then she'll get restless. So it was a really cool experience though. I've never done that before. I wanted to, and I definitely will again sometime. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And the other, so I guess moving on to the the rest of the aspects of, of your, home, your homestead system, how do you sort of perceive homesteading, I guess, moving back to the foundation, because you've got all these moving pieces, moving parts. I'm sure there's more of like a way that you're sort of looking out as you manage and, and get all these things working together. Yeah. So I would look at it. You're right. It is all these different moving parts and things have different seasons. It's, it's really cool. So living here for a year, finally being on my homestead for a full year through all the seasons, you see like the animals, they have seasons too. 
webs ebbs and flows like my chickens they stopped like slowed down in the winter for laying and i didn't supplement them with heat or light or anything just let them do their natural thing and my bees like obviously they slowed down in the winter and i ended up losing a hive i shared that but so it is this big moving system and so you kind of just have to like plan visualize the whole thing and it's all coming from my my needs, right? So I am trying to be self-sufficient and serve what I need or my family needs. And so it's kind of just working through the seasons, I would say, and having that big plan of what to do with it all. <laughs> what were some of the more interesting or surprising aspects of your first full seasonal one-year experience? Oh, wow. Well, you know... Definitely diving in head first. I, I went over my head with everything homesteading, but I would say that hmm, just kind of learning the lay, the lay of the land, that was so important through the seasons of seeing how, well, this may sound silly, but like how the leaves even um, fall in the fall and how they relate to my garden. And so then that relates to how I can trans like transport the leaves to my garden for mulch and um, seeing how my like the runs operate for like my chicken run and all my chickens getting out. So I'm trying to think of like surprising things that I've had, but I've just really enjoyed this last year's seasons to just see how the land works and um, how my animals also work into the land. Like my chickens, they get out the run all the time. I haven't clipped their wings and they go and like till up the garden and the bees are in the garden. So just seeing how everything works together has been kind of really cool. That does sound really cool watching the concert of, of nature happening in real time yeah. or flows through the seasons is, is really beautiful. Something, something I miss being here in, um, in Southern California where there's, there's not too many, it's kind of just like all one season. You guys are kind of getting more seasons though. You're getting snow and stuff. That's true. It's the first true like <laughs> seasonality that I've experienced in the past eight years, but <laughs> Growing up in New England, there was definitely more seasonality where the trees would turn a, a beautiful, you know, red and and pop into these fireworks while the summers were much more hot and the winters were certainly difficult, cold yeah. and, and gray. And it was a much more pronounced seasonality. And we had chickens as chickens as well, probably a dozen or so. And it was funny to just watch them click around and yeah. pick them up and put them on your head or just kind of like play with them. But I think at, at one point, Predator... We don't know what, but something came and, and ate them. And um, that was that was the last of the chickens. Do you have to worry about many predators up there? Yes. So raccoons, coyotes, foxes, skunks, uh, bears. So it's about to be bear season here. So that is another one. I got to be careful with keeping food out. But I also have uh, like a horde of dogs. So they patrol in the night and they're pretty good at keeping everything at bay. Are these uh, your dogs or is it just like a local horde of dogs? Oh no, they're my dogs. So I have uh, four dogs and then like another dog that I have half like part of the year with a, a friend who I watch for. But so I just have this big like herd of dogs. And so because it's becoming summer, like getting into summer, things are more active, creatures more active at night. So I've been waking up the past few nights to the dogs just going ballistic at something. I'm just like, oh. Well, if it's really, really bad, I'll go out there, but I think they got it. Nice. It sounds like you're really surrounded by a lot of lot of life. So you've got four, we'll call it four and a half dogs. How many, how many yeah. chickens do you have? Okay, so I have 
I started with 16, lost seven, not to predators, but to uh, my own dogs. Actually, there was, I think, one predator, but a dog, uh, they kind of went crazy. It was in January. They were completely fine with the chickens last year. And then January, middle of winter, I don't know if they just like, uh, we had a nice day. The chickens got out and I don't know if they forgot about the chickens. Anyway, so they took out some chickens. And then I have 10 chicks in the basement right now that I'm raising. I hatched them this spring. And so, and I also got four from the farm store. So I kind of have different ages of chicks clucking in the basement right now. <laughs> that That's awesome. Having chicks grow from egg all the way until a baby, a baby chicken. That's, that's very cool. What it was. What has that sort of process been like watching that unfold? Oh, it was so cool. So what I did is I got some eggs from a local farm who does heritage breeds. So heritage breeds are breeds that like our great, great grandparents had and they haven't been genetically modified. Like they are just the all natural sort of chicken breed. And that's what I want on my farm. And I put them in the incubator. They went, uh, the incubator ran for 21 days. And then they started coming out of their eggs and it was so cool to watch. You just go down there and there'd be a little chicky. And it was kind of a learning process of when to get the chicks out because when they are wet, you don't want to open up the incubator because then they could catch a cold and die. But then there ended up being, I think, five chicks in there and then one hatched, but it didn't have its yolk absorbed and they like went and ate its yolk and that chick died. So it's been this learning process of keeping chicks in the house and um it was really cool to watch that life unfold yeah yeah that's really magical experience it, it sounds like and it's also different from i think a popular perception of someone who has maybe never seen these like there's un, really on, on both sides you can we can talk about like the way that the cow came to be milked and had all this extra milk a lot of people think you know there's this idea oh you're stealing milk from a cow and it's like this horrible process of like that and then the other part with with the chickens like yolk a lot of people actually think that's a baby chicken or you know yeah. like, but it's a yolk is like a sack of nutrients that the chicken uses to like grow so it's it's really amazing having you're having this firsthand experience of, of what this truly is and you're you're sharing it out with people because so many people just have no idea about like any of this and have a completely illusionary perception of, of what these processes are like yeah, and that that makes me think of like how disconnected we are from our food, right? We are so disconnected. I feel like the system has been very good at just I I don't know how they made that gap. It's only been a few generations and we are just I mean, our food is here and we're here and it's so crazy to think like you're saying a lot of people don't have that. And so I'm I guess I'm kind of like taking it for granted lately because I just um, I'm going through these motions like, oh yeah, I'm hatching eggs, but I didn't realize as I was sharing it onto social media, like people really liked that. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I guess this isn't a very common thing. I'm just forgetting about that. And I actually stumbled onto a live last night on TikTok. Somebody was just like filming their incubator of eggs hatching and stuff. It had 14,000 viewers. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like, this is something that people are intrigued in, you know, like a connection to your food that I, yeah, crazy. It is. It's so crazy. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people actually think that food just kind of appears at the grocery store and like the grocery stores oh. <laughs> like raise the food. I'm like, <laughs> yes. And it's sad because we're not, we're not taught otherwise, you know, where we, 
we go through the school system and we're never, we're never like, at least I wasn't, I never went to a farm to see my food or taught about the food system at all. So yeah, it's sad. A lot of people do think it just appears at the grocery store and that just gives me so much, uh, oh gosh, when I say anxiety, thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it is a little bit unsettling some aspects of our our family (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's why we're here right to help others see that 100 percent. yeah and and you much much more than me you're taking you know the the leap to to really go and and do this i think that it i'm sure that there are a ton of people I, i like to imagine sort of all these you know potential futures that our our nation could sort of go in and some of them are pretty frightening i don't like to think about those but but some of them are really beautiful and amazing like more people doing what you're doing to to take more of a control and and connection with the food that with the food that they're consuming and creating it and and being uh closer to it and i think there's this at least in my mind and i know in a lot of others i see it's like sort of unapproachable or like really difficult i know acquiring land is, is a big part of it, but it also seems like it's very difficult to like uh, manage chickens and, and bees and, and cows. Has it been as challenging as I think that, that idea or is it easier than, than you thought? So I'm going to say the most challenging part of that is like thinking about it and maybe just the initial like learning curve and it doesn't take much And that's why I love bees and chickens, because they are so simple. Anybody with just a backyard, anybody with a backyard could have bees and chickens. And you don't even necessarily need a backyard for bees. I know somebody who just has their beehive in their driveway. So I think probably psyching yourself out and thinking that you need land. That's something I want to get across to a lot of people. You don't need a huge chunk of land to homestead. And if you just get one or two chickens for your little backyard, if your HOA allows it, you know, if you live in an HOA, and if you do live in in an HOA, just move now. But bees, super easy. And that's why I love them. And that's why I'm expanding my chickens and bees this year, because I realized, oh, they're self-sufficient. Like they do their own thing. I do minimal work with them and I can do all my other stuff. Very cool. That's great. Great advice for, for getting started. And Maybe one aspect of this that we haven't spoken about yet is the is the gardening part of it. Are you growing a large garden, looking to expand that? Did you get a lot of uh, different crops this year? How's that, how's that part going? So last year, I didn't get to do as much in the garden as I wanted to because I was so focused on so many other things. I did do a big harvest of garlic, which I eat a lot of garlic. I had raspberries, strawberries. I had fruit trees. They didn't bloom last year. It's kind of an interesting fruit here, fruit year here last year. Um, so this year though, because I, again, figuring out my time, I don't have moo that frees up multiple hours in my day. I've already started my seeds and I'm planting out my garden, tons of vegetables for preserving and fruit. Fruit is gonna be my main focus. I'm gonna be planting a lot of fruit trees. Um, because those are so important for me, my next generation, grandkids. So I'm thinking forward to the future and also fruit and berry bushes. So I'm so excited about that. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Have a whole abundant cornucopia of, of fresh fruit options just out in your, out in your property. Yeah. 
With that, though, also, too, comes bears. So, mm. like, I got a uh, predator proof, but that part of why I have, like, a huge herd of dogs outside, right? But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's another part of, I think, being out sort of in a more remote areas, bears or potentially wolves in, in some other areas and having these predators. And I guess in, in the cities, we have to worry about predators of a different kind, like other, other humans as, as predators. And, oh. and out in the, out in the remote area, it's, it's more of a, another animal, another species in, in, entirely. It's, I get, there's really no escaping, you know, predators in, in life. It's just part of being human, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I like that you said there's like other humans. So it's just a different predator in the city. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, nothing that's fun to think about, but it's it's something that we have to be, you know, something we have to deal with mm-hmm. and we have to be aware of. Be aware of for sure. Have you thought about the future? You mentioned future generations. I'm I'm sure you've thought about the future. That was a, what I mean to say is you you you've got a grand vision for for what you're doing here. You're thinking multi-generationally and you're planning for for your children's and your your children's children. I think it's such a beautiful gift to be able to create this this beautiful homestead that, that you're doing. And what does it look like in your mind's eye when you envision the, the future of, of your, your homestead? Well, when I envision the future, I'm hoping that with my children, when I have children, that I can instill like a love for the land, a love for the community, that they fall in love with where they live. And that comes with falling in love with this self-sufficient lifestyle. Like I said earlier, like that lifestyle was only a few generations ago, but all that knowledge has been lost. And so trying to restore these skills to my kids and hoping they fall in love with it. And maybe one day the land can be divided up amongst them. I'm, I haven't quite figured out what I would do in that scenario, right? Because once things start to be divided up, then stuff gets sold and then other interests come in. So that I haven't figured out. I'm not sure if you could like make a will that says you cannot (laughs) sell this, like it stays in the family. I'm not sure if you can. But uh, so thinking of that, hoping and being aware of passing on these skills, hoping my kids, you know, see the value in it and (laughs) hoping that they restore like this ancestral knowledge, right? Keep it going because it's so valuable. And then hoping that it keeps going on generation I have a neighbor next to me and they used to own like a huge chunk of land around here maybe like a couple thousand acres and now it's only down to like 10 acres because things got sold off and family problems and all that and so they're slowly trying to buy things back but once it's gone it's much more difficult to get back so Hopefully being able to instill that, but of course people are individuals. I don't know what my children's or grandchildren's interests will be. So it's just hoping for the best and they can see like, um, like the fruit garden, the orchard that I want to make for future generations that they see the value in that. It's a beautiful vision. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Something fascinating. I was, I was researching, um, just farming agriculture, in general, because there's this whole idea of small farms going away and the average age of the farmer being like in the sixties or fifties, like very old. And I was kind of wondering why that was. And and I think the fascinating thing about farming is that 
really the most valuable part of it is is the land where they're sort of cultivating all these these crops and, and the soil and animals, but they're kind of just barely getting by in a way, a lot of them. And then they, they've got, they're essentially sitting on this massive investment of land that really ranges in value based on where it is, but is far and away the most valuable part of, of what they're doing. So then it's it's difficult to have uh, have someone choose to want to you know continue that life of of kind of barely getting by in a way with the uh, crops that they have selling them at the market while they're sitting on this massive you know jackpot in in a way that that would be the the value of of the land. But I think you've got something a little bit different and pretty brilliant going on where you're also creating content which can generate this other income stream. So you have an amazing YouTube channel that I see is going to just really continue growing over time to be a successful one based on what you're doing now, because it's, it's pretty mind blowing. And then also you're streaming on, on Twitch as, as well. Is that, is that uh, sort of sum it up? Yeah. Yeah. So that does sum it up. So I've been streaming on Twitch for eight years now. Um, and I, it's way different. So I do gaming there. That was where it all started and amazing. So there's just some really amazing people that I have this super cool community over there. And I started this homestead, um, about a year and a half ago with the YouTube and the content. But going back to what you're saying about farmers being old and um, barely getting by, absolutely, yes, and I see it. And I was wondering that same thing. And what's so interesting is I went and talked to my neighbor. They're older and they farmed around here. So this used to be huge dairy land. Everybody had to dairy. And I remember driving around and all these places are just broken down. Nobody does a dairy anymore. And I was like, why is this? And so I was over with my neighbor before I got my cow, because they were showing me like how to, you know, milk a cow and do all this. And, um, I was talking to them about the dairy industry, like collapsing. And they said it was because the government came in and was like, Hey, we're going to start giving incentives. And so people ended up like taking these incentives and then they, I forget exactly what it was, but they ended up selling their heard and it just collapsed the whole dairy industry and instead of uh the dairy industry relying on these small farms it went like mass corporation so it's kind of it was kind of interesting to me like oh the government came in and collapsed all these small farms <laughs> and it's sad to think about but it's also something to be aware of you know handouts and that sort of thing especially in farming kind of an interesting thing going on with farmland right now but like you touched on, we have the internet. So I think there could be a huge revival on small farms because people have access to cameras. They have infinite amounts of co content that they could create on their land. People just need to realize that, you know? Absolutely. And that's that's a fascinating point to make how the government has, has really been shifting small farms over into big businesses and large corporations. And I think we're of a generation where we're sort of feeling the consequences of that. I think it was probably a beneficial thing for the nation for a long time to, you know, for some of the nation. And now it's, it's kind of needing to swing back in, in the other direction. And you're a big part of that sort of swing back in the other direction. People who are realizing, Oh, hold on. It's, it's better on the, <laughs> over here now. So we're going to, we're going to change our ways and, and, and see what comes of this. You look really young. How, how old are you? So that is actually something I don't share. <laughs> I don't, um, I, uh, I, let's see. So I'm 23. <laughs> okay. I, I only ask because it's, it's surprising. And also it's very cool because most young people, you know, aren't 
really you're, you're like really sharp and up to speed on all this like you're, you're out doing the thing a lot of people are just like really lost with with their life really at any age but just the fact that yeah. you are you know doing this at a young age and really making it happen is just, it's just so impressive and, and cool and and um i think setting a really powerful example for, for others you know regardless of age i think age doesn't have to you know really doesn't play that big of a factor but i think it's something a lot of people are curious about that's that's why i ask but it is it is amazing to see I, I guess what i'm getting at is like this curiosity around like have you always been sort of interested in this in the back of your head or was it really just like that 2020 sent you on this like massive catalyst to try and try and dig deeper was it kind of ruminating before that so it definitely was ruminating before that so i moved down to california so i grew up in more of like a rural area moved around rural parts and man, I did not have a connection with the food or the land. My family didn't farm. So I just didn't have like this connection at all. So I was dreaming of the city, right? I was like, oh man, I got to go to LA. I want to go to California, live that lifestyle. I went and then I went on a hike down there one day. And I remember the parking lot was full of RVs and you couldn't even go on the trail because there's so many people. And I then just I remember I went home and I actually cried and I was like, wow, I really miss like this rural living that I had. So that was like kind of this change of thinking like, wow, the land and the animals and everything were really important to me and I never realized it growing up. So I moved back and then I became more interested. I wanted to have my own like piece of land one day. And then I started building food storage when when I was in university because I mean, the way of the world is kind of shaky. And then when 2020 happened, that's when I was like, all right, I need to be self-sufficient. This is not going to work. Our system's not reliable. So I need to get those systems in place for myself. And that's when I started to do more gardening and look into chickens, but I couldn't have chickens or bees at the time due to my HOA. And I just, patiently awaited for an opportunity to arise and it did. Amazing. Amazing. Do you miss anything about more urban or population dense living or is it 100% a win where you're at now? You know, I do miss, you know, now I'm trying to think what do I miss? <laughs> um, well, I loved the weather down in California because it was so temperate and it was like constant throughout the year. That was really wonderful. And the summers were never too incredibly hot. So I do miss the weather, right? Especially as I'm coming out of this really difficult winter and like thinking of the California weather. But you guys are kind of like all over the place right now. So I don't know. Um, but sometimes being close in proximity to some of my favorite stores. Um, to be able to go and get some, maybe some fresh ingredients or something. That's really the only thing I could think. But now I'm like, I, I have everything. I never go to the store anyways, but maybe something like that on occasion. Besides that, like. Yeah, I guess that's what I, I would imagine is just like being able to, you know, walk a couple of blocks to the store or drive, you know, quickly, mm -hmm. as opposed to having to drive a little bit longer, more of a road trip to, to kind of get some of the things that you want or, or need. But I think that's another thing about the internet is I'm sure you have deliveries where you, where you are to, to order things that you need. 
Yeah, so I have deliveries and you're right. It is a road trip if I want to go into town to get something and it doesn't have the same like par of stores as the city does, right? And I feel like things are a bit more expensive depending on the store. So that is a bit of a trade, whereas you can, I used to be able to just drive down the block, go to my favorite store, get everything I needed. But now I do like as your standard, which I order online and get organic food and it's delivered to an area near me, like in my community. And there's so many benefits with that, uh, the Azure standard is because you get to meet other people who are like-minded in the community as you, and you can do it anywhere in the cities, wherever, but that's been something that's been like a saving grace for me is if I miss those fresh ingredients from the store, I can get them online, like you were saying, but also meet people. I've met some really cool people who are also ordering bulk ingredients from this online organic store. <laughs> Amazing. And then you touched on another interesting aspect of this would which would be something um, along the lines of community. So I think moving out to a more remote location, people may think, oh, it could be lonely out there. You know, my neighbor's really far away. What, what is it like in, in terms of the, the neighborhood or the community that, that you've been able to connect with out there? Well, you, I feel like I've quickly discovered everybody seems to be pretty like-minded. They like their privacy. That's probably why they moved out here, but they're very community driven. Like my neighbors, they would be there for me if I ever needed anything. And the community that I'm talking about, like I've met at my Azure drops, it's other people who are building a food storage because you see what they're ordering and then you talk about different ingredients and then you learn what they're gardening or what animals they're raising. And so it's kind of cool. You're like swapping these skills, but that also happens with my neighbors, but there's also, you know, drama always comes with neighbors, I feel like. And even if you live in the city, when I lived, you know, right next to somebody versus um, somebody being like a half a mile away from me, there's still like this interesting dynamic with people. But I've also learned um, because the remoteness, I'm not sure what exactly it would have to do. My neighbors are like all preppers. Like they are very prepared. I have one very prepper neighbor who's like tied into the whole state and has uh, um, like access to visuals of the water and the railroads and the roads. And <laughs> so it's kind of cool. It's this really, uh, I feel like these people who have, you know, like we were talking about that pendulum, like they swung back and they were like, okay, this is way better than what, where we've been for the past few generations. And they're, you know, moving remote. Yeah, that's beautiful to think that you've got a community of like-minded people. Everyone has their privacy, their space, they've got their thing going on and then you can they can all be connected. And if something ever did happen, God forbid, but if it did, you'd all be able to work together and, and sort of share resources and, and communicate with, with all that. And really it's the aspect of self-sufficiency that, that you have it's almost really amplified by the self-sufficiency of everyone in the community because you can all work together and be this sort of hive in a way, a collective. Oh yeah. I like that you said it's amplified because yes. So what I do, you know, like the bees and the chickens, somebody else does beef and we're able to trade those resources. If it ever came down to like bartering, bartering, I already barter with my neighbors so it's just cool to think that if something ever came down, like we have each other's backs, like we're our own community. And I feel like that hive would amplify with the other hives around us because it's like these little mini communities of neighbors, but they all know each other. So 
yeah, it's, I feel really safe here. That is super cool. That's super cool. All right. That reminds me, I believe in one of your videos, your neighbor's cow came and was like eating some of your, was like <laughs> eating the grass or something. Does that happen often? <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't happen too often. I remember even Moo got out once because she saw the cows down the way. She went all the way down the road. I look out the window and she's going up somebody's driveway. So I have gotten my whole place fenced now. So that that won't happen, but... Everybody's really good if it does happen. <laughs> Cows seem really nice. They, they just seem like kind of big, gentle dogs. They're just sort of like walking around minding their own business. Yes. So there are different breeds. So like the Jersey that I had, sweet temperament. You could just go and be with her. She's not reckless or messy or destructive. Amazing. But there's also Angus cows, which are where, you know, the beef comes from, um, and they're very destructive and I would not want to be and especially bulls too. Even if it was a Jersey bull, I wouldn't want to really be in the field with them because they can be unpredictable. And uh, it's also like cleanliness too. Like I feel like different cows carry different levels of cleanliness. So it's just kind of interesting. There's this whole uh, like rainbow of cows <laughs> and animals that have all these unique aspects. And last year I had, a herd of Angus cows pasturing in my backfield and they got out and they were so destructive. They came to my garden, they took down some trees, bushes, stomped through the garden. I'm surprised they didn't take out my beehives, but Moo, like she was out free ranging. She was with my bees and in my garden, but she was just elegant. <laughs> wow. Dang. I So you had like a stampede of, of, of Angus cows come through and just destroy your trees and bushes. it really was though wow. <laughs> yeah it really was i just uh wow woke up to them they completely destroyed everything of moose all of her fencing they took it all out so they must have just stampeded through it they ate all of her mineral tipped over stuff in her bar it was it was quite the disaster when i woke up and <laughs> i was uh a little upset that day but you know it's these new homestead things you're learning like okay I don't know if I want to really have a herd of Angus cows out here or got to make sure that their fence is really amplified, really electrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it, it. It's a great lesson to learn early on before you have all the, your whole fruit orchard set up. It, it would have been really bad if you had all that, all that set up. Oh, that would have been so bad if I would have had, like, if I would have been doing my gardening as much as I'm going to be doing it this year, it would have been completely destroyed. Like they just, they just ravaged the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess chickens are, are somewhat of a similar way, but they're, they're so much smaller. They can't do as much damage. Yeah, that's true. And what's so beautiful is they go and till up my garden. So they'll go and till it. I do have to put up barriers around my garden boxes so they don't like go till up my plants when I want them to grow. But at the end of the season, you let them in there and they go and fertilize it for you and they aerate the soil. Like chickens are so amazing. They're like little compost bins. And that's why I think it's so valuable for everybody to have chickens if possible because the food scraps that you're just throwing in the garbage, they go to chickens and then they compost your garden. It's just this magnificent, uh, beautiful way of life of how I think it was intended to be. And we're relearning how it should have been. But, you know, the system's kind of disrupted that, disrupted our learning. So it is really cool to return to that. It is. 
and they gift you with eggs on on top of that. Do you get are you like overwhelmed with eggs or do you have sort of a right amount or not enough or what's what's that like? So right now I'm getting about let's see. I think yesterday I got 8 eggs a day, so I'm back up to 8 eggs. But that I feel like there's never something is too much eggs because what I do is I water glass the eggs and that preserves like shelf preserves eggs for up to 2 years. So uh, when I have an abundance of eggs, I water glass them. So it's just water and um, lime, pickling lime. And then you just put the eggs in there and then put them on my shelf. And then that's what I eat in the winter. So it's cool. I have like summer pastured eggs to uh, have a nutrient dense meal or food in the winter. So I'm not... I don't feel like I'm ever overwhelmed. And I also share with my dogs, they love the eggs. So it's kind of a cool thing because they supplement feed for me. It's very cool. Yeah. And I'm actually not familiar with water glassing eggs. Is that just a whole raw egg in, in the jar with, with the water and the lime? Or is it like hard boiled first? Oh, no. So you just get a clean egg. So you can't do it with store-bought. So store-bought washes the eggs and sometimes they put chemicals on the eggs. You need clean farm fresh eggs. And a lot of people always ask me, how do you have clean eggs? Well, you just, I feel like you just have a clean area for them to lay eggs. So there's not poop all over the eggs. Like, and so you just have a clean farm fresh egg, like no debris on it. You can maybe take a, maybe you can take a microfiber cloth and wipe, wipe off any debris lightly. And then you fill up like a gallon jar with water and pickling lime. So it is one quart of water to two tablespoons pickling lime. So you fill it up and then you just stack raw eggs in there and it preserves them. So um, a lot of people ask what the egg will look like after it's been in the pickling lime for a while. And sometimes the egg will just or the yolk will look a bit more runny, but that's it. Like that is what I ate through the winter. And that was like eight month old eggs that I was eating. And they just sat on the shelf, tasted great. I never got sick and they looked beautiful. So it is such a neat way to preserve. And I feel like a lot of people aren't familiar with that, but that's how, you know, our great grandparents preserved eggs when they had an abundance. Wow. That's amazing. Huh? Yeah, definitely not something that I'd even heard of before this conversation. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever want to preserve some eggs, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So another here's another question that, that I'm I'm curious about that's coming to mind. A little bit of a, I guess a left turn. But if you think about now that you no longer have moo, and are are you considering getting other animals, more animals like goats or sheep or camels or anything? You know, so, oh man, I feel so guilty saying this, but sometimes my heart is like, just get another dairy cow. But obviously I know I, I wouldn't. I would probably, I have considered goats. Goats would need fencing. They absolutely need fencing because they're such escape artists. And it's just a matter if I want to go and do the fencing and do that time commitment. So I'm very careful with my time because I am doing all this content, right? And I'm also doing streaming on Twitch. So I got to be careful in that aspect, but goats would be amazing for goat milk. But I'm also in, in figuring out what I want to bring to my homestead, my farm is what is the cost going to be and what could I get it if I sourced it from somewhere else? So I'm very much like, I love supporting local. And so 
For example, if I got goats, considering the time, how much that would cost in terms of my time, the feed, the care, uh, random vet expenses versus if I just went and bought goat milk from somebody down the road. Usually it turns out for me that it's more uh, beneficial for my time and cost effective to just buy out just because of the time consumption, unless I was able to, unless I wanted to, or was able to turn it into like a goat milk production and I was selling goat milk and that was my main thing. Uh, that's a really smart way to think about it. So no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, not at the moment. Um, I don't even know what animal I would bring next. I'm really obsessed right now with bees, like bees and chickens. That's why I'm doing more chickens and bees because they are so cool. And honey is such an easy thing to sell, like raw honey. And my time, uh, my time commitment to bees is not much at all versus the return that you get for selling a jar of raw honey would be more than the time commitment how do I explain that? Okay, I got to go back and rethink that because I'm like, how do I say this? Basically, what I'm saying is the benefit of having bees and selling bees with my time and everything is a bigger benefit than my time commitment to a dairy cow and how much I could sell the milk for, mm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a much more valuable investment of your time. It's much more... Yes. <laughs> efficient aspect of your, your home setting. Yeah, it's and, and bees are really amazing, amazing insects or creatures, beings, little the hive and and that you I don't know, I, I know from a, a product standpoint, there's you know royal jelly and, and propolis, and then there's the raw honey, and there's even the um actual uh, maybe you can maybe you can think the pollen uh, the pollen and 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 then also like the actual hive itself right the the beeswax oh like, yeah the honeycomb yes the honeycomb yeah Is that yep. yeah so there's like all that and yeah and the beeswax and beeswax so that's that's an amazing yeah. it's amazing that this one simple which who's also so essential with the is going to be helpful with the garden that you're making can you know work through this whole harmonious system that you're cultivating and I think recently you had a bit of a, a problem with your, your beehives, is that? Yes. So in the fall, they got attacked. And yeah, it's crazy. My bees, um, in the fall, they are foraging, foraging, foraging for food. And so I had some bees coming in, like foreign bees or some hive around, miles radius around, coming in and stealing uh, food from my hive. So I had to cover them. So that was rough because I'm about to go into winter. Winter is so hard on bees. So I was just like praying, hoping that my bees were going to be okay. And one week, one or one hive was stronger than the other. And so I went into winter with that and I did the most prep that I could. And I actually did a step further than what is generally recommended. So what's recommended for prepping beehives is you wrap them in like a little insulator. But I took like roofing wrap. I put like just like a thick paper around them and then put the insulator. But then I got a top box that had a almost like a pillow filled with um with like another insulator but for moisture because moisture is what's going to kill your bees in the winter. So, and I put extra food in there. So say they ran out of food, they had a little fondant cake to go and eat. And I'm so happy I did that because I had one hive die 
and they were the weaker hive and I'm super, super, super bummed about that. But one hive, the other hive survived and I actually propped open the top of their hive last week and I saw that they found their fondant, which tells me that if they didn't have that fondant, they would have died in the little bag of like moisture um, absorbing that I had in there, this little moisture absorption bag. It was so moist. So that saved all that moisture from going into the hive. So I'm learning these things. I lost a hive because maybe they weren't strong enough. They didn't find the fondant, but it's these things in the first year, like now I know how to hopefully keep bees alive through the winter. So yeah, really <laughs> cool. Love my bees. It is really cool. And yeah, it's, you know, these lessons, I guess it seems like you've, you've had a quite an amazing journey this, this first year, despite a few, a few lessons along the way. But I mean, I guess that's what you expect with the first time homestead or going, going through your first, first year. It's, it's really an incredible story and, and experience that, that you're having. And I think the, the bees are, are such a, a beautiful sort of nexus point of, of the story that you're describing, the way that they kind of work together and generate this amazing honey as, as a result of their, you know, uh, relationship with, with the land and, and, and with each other. What, what do you love about the bees? Oh, I just love to go out there. Well, what you said about how it, they just work together with nature and they bring it and turn it into a product, honey and propolis. And, but I love just going out there and hanging out with them. And I post videos of the bees crawling on me. And I know it gives people like, oh, that's so dangerous or scary. But bees, at least my kind, I have carniolans. They are so peaceful. I don't know how to explain it, but they just have this peace. Like they are just busy doing their thing. And it's a lesson to me because they're not so much worried about what's going on in the world. Like they are just doing what they need to be doing, what they were sent here to do. So I think about that and apply that to my life. I just feel like I have so many lessons that I learned from my animals. And uh, that's why I'm expanding my bees because I want to have more of them. I want to surround myself with more of that peace on my homestead. I have this idea about about bees where if you're afraid of them, they can kind of sense your fear and then they will are more likely to sting you if, if you're afraid. But if you are thinking about how much you love them and I like I always consciously think about how much I love bees and all the things they do when they're around me and they never sting me. So that's that's my idea. That's true. And supposedly when you are fearful, you release a pheromone that they sense and they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to come and get you. But um, also, too, that reminds me of like bananas. You never want to eat bananas and go out to your beehives because that is their like swarm smell. So they'll want to swarm you. But yeah, absolutely. Just like having those, you know, good thoughts and vibes and not stress yourself out around bees. I, I, when I tend to them, I never really wear my bee suit. I just go out there and I feel like maybe this is a little crazy, but I feel like they know like, hey, you know, like this is my person. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I believe that 100%. Yeah. The whole yeah. natural world, it's so much more alive and conscious than than a lot of people really think. And, and I'm not even really going like full hippie mode, Like, but it's it's just true on an objective level. If you have any interaction with, with a, a dog or, or a bee or even, I think probably animal, maybe shark, I've heard even people say that sharks, you know, are more likely to bite you if you're afraid of them versus if you're giving them loving vibrations, whatever that, <laughs> if you can do that with a shark. No, I agree. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I believe that. And like, just like you have all those plants around you too. I have house plants and I'll go and talk to them in the morning. And I tell them, you're so beautiful. And you know, I'm trying to keep you alive. Like, please, you know, I'm trying to do what I can. So I like that you said, it's just like this connection. And that's kind of the root of everything that I'm doing here is like, I want to connect back to the environment and, you know, create that connection our ancestors had. It's really beautiful the thing that you are doing with that connection that is at the root of everything that you are, are doing on a, on a day-to-day basis and sharing out into the world for, for other people to see. And I've, I've really appreciated you sharing that journey and, and coming on to this podcast to, to make this, this episode with me. And it, it's been a fantastic conversation that I've, I've really enjoyed. Is, is there any sort of last sentiment that you'd like to share with, with everybody listening? You know, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I have had a lot of fun discussing and I would have liked to hear more too about you. So, um, but I just want everybody to know that you don't need a ton of land to homestead. You just need to start with where you're at. And like we talked about, I feel like it is so achievable. It is incredibly, um, I wouldn't say easy, but it's doable. Everything is figure outable and everything is doable. And you just got to start with where you're at. Don't keep thinking you got to have X, Y, or Z to start homesteading or to start keeping chickens. Like just do it. Beautiful. Go, bud. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. 